Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Forgot to turn my mic on. I'm talking away a mile a minute, Curtis, and my mic was off. Good going, Annie. <laughs> Great way to start the show, Ann. Uh, here, you're listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker. Also now up on iHeartRadio. You can watch us live on Facebook and YouTube. It's Annie. Unmutes herself. I'm your hostess with the most is the radio chick, along with my erudite and so handsome co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. What a way to start the show, Curtis. What a way. I'm telling you. Hey, I'm delighted to be back here today, and I'm even more delighted to see the befuddled look on all the liberals because um, they can't figure out how Trump pulled this off with the North Koreans, you know. I tell you. Oh, jeez. It, 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 there's there's so much that is going on, and I know I told you that um, we had a school tax referendum going on here in where I live in Beaufort County, and um, everyone was thinking this was going to sail through because the, the election was on a Saturday. It's an off-season election, off-day election. No one pays any attention to these things, honestly. And, you know, voter turnout, the last time they had something like this where they had a high voter turnout, they had approximately 10,000 people show up. That's approximately 10%. And, wow. all right, we didn't expect a high voter turnout, but because the school board is so dysfunctional, the school superintendent is so unethical. He actually pleaded guilty to ethics violations and paid a penalty. Um, I don't think he's going to be with the school board for much longer. Uh, but not only did we defeat it, Curtis, but catch this, that the, the Papers said it wasn't a high voter turnout. Well, if you consider comparing it to a general election, yeah, it's not a high voter turnout. Now, remember, the last time we had a record number for something like this was about 10,000. Well, 14, over 14,000 people showed up. I think it was like 14,714. I, I think that's the wow. number that I saw. Out of wow. that 14, over 14,000 that showed up, over 10,000 voted no. And only approximately 4,000, just a little over 4,000, voted yes. Now, tell me there isn't a tide turning in America. Tell me there isn't a tide turning. 
If we can do that on an off election on a Saturday and just absolutely swamp them, just absolutely threw them into the ground and dug them to their grave, holy moly. So it was 14 I can't, I can't to wait 1. Till, uh, <laughs> can't wait till November when, um, you know, we put the final nails in the coffin of this, this, this movement to uh, – to help Trump and everything when we beat these, you know, left these back big time. Well, there's going to be a lot to talk about, and we're going to start going through a series of primaries. So we'll see what happens. But if any indication of what our referendum was this past Saturday is how the tide is going to turn throughout the rest of the country, oh, boy, are the Democrats in for a real trouncing. I mean, when you've got 14,000 voters show up and 10,000 vote the referendum down, say solidly no. And a measly 4,000 said yes. It's, it's going to show. It's going to be indicative of what everything else is going to go on. I want to welcome everyone that's listening in in the studio as well as showing up in our chat rooms. I haven't gotten to all the chat rooms yet, but uh, I'll try to get into them. Uh, anyone that listens to the show knows we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going out to Deputy Sheriff Stephen Ballinger of the Los Angeles uh, County Sheriff's Department. His end of watch was Tuesday, February 6th of 2018. And this is the original article that was written on December 12th of 1994 by Robert Lopez in the LA Times. A Los Angeles deputy sheriff was in critical but stable condition after being shot by a skateboard riding gunman who later turned his pistol on himself and committed suicide in front of a Catholic church in Paramount, authorities said. Stephen Ballinger, 29, a seven-year veteran of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, was wounded in the head and foot as he questioned an assault suspect in Roland Heights. Family and friends flocked to Ballinger's bedside at Queen of the Valley Hospital in West Covina. Also at his side were about two dozen sheriff deputies, who described Ballinger, a married father of a 15-month-old daughter, as outgoing, athletic, and especially fond of baseball. We're all pulling for him, said Deputy Dan Duran, who was Ballinger's training supervisor when he was a rookie. He's just an outstanding kid. Ballinger was unconscious and under heavy sedation as doctors waiting for swelling to subside before attempting to remove the bullet from his head, Duran said. Authorities identified the suspect gunman as Matthew Hagman, 20, of Roland Heights. The shooting took place after Ballinger recognized Gregory Dwayne Powell, 18, as a man wanted for a previous assault and stopped him and a 15-year-old girl as they drove by in a car, Deputy Brian Jones said. As the deputy searched the girl, Hagman, a friend of Powell's, cruised up from behind on a skateboard and fired two shots before fleeing with Powell and the 15-year-old girl, Jones said. About an hour later, an anonymous caller contacted the sheriff's department and said that Hagman admitted to shooting the deputy and was going to kill himself. Deputies responded to calls of shots being fired at Our Lady of the Rosary Church in Paramount, about 16 miles from where the other shooting occurred. Lying in a pool of blood on a sidewalk in front of the church was Hagman, with a single wound to his head. At his side was the handgun believed to be the weapon used to shoot Ballinger. 
Hagman was pronounced dead at the scene. Powell and the 15-year-old girl turned themselves in to the West Covina police. The girl was released to her parents, Joan said, and Powell was booked into central jail on the previous assault with the deadly weapon charge. Fast forward to 23 years forward. Again, the L.A. Times by James Queeley. A little more than 23 years ago, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy Stephen Ballinger made the last arrest of what should have been a promising career. On patrol in Roland Heights, the then 29-year-old deputy spotted an assault suspect driving by and ordered him to pull over. As Ballinger was questioning one of the suspect's passengers, 20-year-old Matthew Hagman rolled past on a skateboard, gun in hand. Ballinger was shot in the head. The bullet would remain lodged in his skull the rest of his life. Ballinger was 52 when he died of complications related to the injuries he suffered all those years ago. He was remembered by his loved ones and a phallus of sheriff department officials in full uniform at his funeral. While it has been 23 years since Stephen was gravely wounded, it feels as if it was yesterday, Los Angeles County Sheriff Jim McDonald said. Pictures of Ballinger as a young deputy lined the mausoleum on Pomona Valley Memorial Park, where dozens paid their last respects to an officer who McDonald said earned a reputation for being an outstanding young man during his seven years in law enforcement. Ballinger was shot and gravely wounded December 10, 1994, moments after he noticed Gregory D. Powell drive down a Roland Heights street. Ballinger stopped the car and handcuffed Powell. As Ballinger began questioning a teenage girl who was also in the car, Hagman, a friend of Powell's, skated past and opened fire. The bullet struck Ballinger in the head and foot. Hagman escaped with Powell and the teenage girl. But an hour later, an anonymous caller contacted the sheriff's department and said Hagman had confessed to shooting Ballinger and was going to kill himself. Hagman fatally shot himself later that night. Powell later surrendered and was convicted of the assault Ballinger had arrested him for, but he was not charged in connection with the attack on the deputy, said Nicole Nishida, a spokesman for the sheriff's department. At the time of the shooting, Ballinger was married, and he and his wife were parents of a 15-month-old daughter, Nicole. Surgeons were able to pull bone fragments from Ballinger's head after the shooting, but were never able to dislodge the bullet. Ballinger returned to light duty with the Sheriff's Department in 2000 before retiring in 2001, McDonald said. The injuries Ballinger suffered from the gunshot had a severe impact on his health for the rest of his life. While he was shot in the line of duty over two decades ago, Steve and his family bravely faced the challenges of his injury up until his passing. Ron Hernandez, president for the association for Los Angeles deputy sheriffs. Steve's death is a tragic loss that reminds us of the risks law enforcement officers take every day to keep us safe. His service and sacrifice will never be forgotten. Ballinger, whose father was also a sheriff's deputy, was born in Claremont, McDonald said. He was an athlete and avid baseball fan and first met his wife, teenager, said Reverend Kimball Coburn. Ballinger's daughter, Nicole, 
said her father had a knack for playing pranks on fellow deputies and that his affinity for mischief carried over to his time at home with his family. He lived a long, happy life after retirement, she said. After McDonald spoke, Ballinger was honored with a 21-gun salute and a flyover by the Sheriff's Department's helicopters before the sheriff presented Ballinger's widow with a folded American flag. Steve Ballinger is one of our heroes, McDonald said, a role model. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Sheriff Ballinger. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women who serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or EMTs. We also dedicate it to the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into the future. And we dedicate it to them with the song, Amazing Grace. May God bless each and every one. Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, High Plains, Daily News, also up on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeart Radio. Look for us live on Facebook and YouTube. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, we're waiting for our guest to call in, and hopefully she'll call in shortly. Curtis, unmute yourself. Curtis has not unmuted himself. Curtis, are you with us here? Yeah, can you hear me? Curtis? No, I got you. You didn't unmute yourself. I did that at the start of the show, and now you did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the phone said I wasn't 
Uh, no, I'm, I'm looking at the switchboard, and the switchboard says, yes, you're definitely muted there. <laughs> but we're we're waiting for waiting for our guest to call in, and I'm going to see if I can get her on her Facebook page also. Um, just bear with me as I do this. We have a lot, a lot to talk about, and uh, we're hoping that Elizabeth Johnson can join us very shortly. Um, but we do have a lot, and i got to tell you, uh, there is something that is really hysterical out there. There is a um, person running in the Massachusetts senatorial race against Elizabeth Warren. He's running as an independent, and the city uh, that he's running from, he put a, this tour bus up, and it's got a picture of Elizabeth Warren wearing Indian headdress and outfit, and his picture next to it. And he said, vote for a real Indian, not a fake one. And I cannot pronounce this guy's name, but if anyone goes to um, – Politics One, it's the number one, not the word one, politicsone.com. Pull up Massachusetts and look under Elizabeth Warren where she's the incumbent, and there's one guy running as a independent, and I'm telling you, I just cannot pronounce his name, but it is, I, I thought it was hysterical. And he's fighting the city. He's suing the city to keep his tour bus. <laughs> I so love he's it. a real American. Love Actually, I think he happens to be from India. Wait, he's I, from I, India. I, I think my guest is calling me. Hold on. All right. Uh, well, anyway, we've got a lot to talk about, and I'm sending a message over. I can't even see. I can't even tell if I did this right. Good Lord, I need a set of eyeglasses for my eyeglasses. All right, there we go. There we go. So hopefully she'll come in on the line shortly, and Curtis will be back back with us. But I want to welcome again everyone that's up in our chat room and listening in. Um, we do have other stuff to talk about while we wait for her to call in. And I mentioned last week that uh, lawmakers are, had sent a criminal referral over to um, the Department of Justice asking for criminal charges against Clinton, Comey, Lynch, and McCabe. And Comey on his book tour seems to be sticking his foot in his face a lot more often. (laughs) It looks like there may actually be charges coming up for McCabe and Comey. So we'll see who's going to, who's going to drop Clinton. uh, Who's going to drop the dime on Clinton. Holy moly. There's so much that is going on out there. And here we go. I got the article for the real Indian running against Elizabeth Warren and let me see if I can see if I can even try to say this guy's name. His first name is Shiva Ayadore. So check it out, guys. You know, there is uh, his campaign bus has sported two identical signs picturing himself and a rendition of Warren wearing Indian attire. Emblazoned next to the image of the words, only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Let's see if we get Pocahontas having a, a, a DNA test finally. All right, Curtis, are you back yet? I don't think Curtis is yep. back yet. She will, uh, okay, all right, she's driving. All right, so she'll call in in a few seconds. All right, that's right. good. That is excellent. Yeah. Oh, um, this could be her on in on the line. All right, let's bring her aboard. Good afternoon, Elizabeth. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Oh, it is a great sunny day down here, and our chat room is filling up, and people are listening in over on Facebook and YouTube. And 
we're just we are having a blast. Um, you you are the activist mommy, and that's your website, activistmommy.com. And this is going to make your heart happy. We have over where I live in South Carolina an extremely embattled a school board. They fight amongst mm. themselves to the point where they had to hire a mediator to teach them how to get along. And half the school board mm. didn't even show up. <laughs> and they paid all this money, mm. like $22,000 for this mediator. And in the midst of this, we got a school superintendent who was brought up on, by the state on ethics charges, which he pleaded guilty to and pla- paid a fine and still remained our school superintendent. Plus, he got <laughs> his bonus. Uh, and then amongst all this going on, they disguise, decide to do a tax referendum to build new schools. Now, two of the schools that they want the referendum money to expand upon were only opened two years ago under the last mm. referendum. So they put wow. forward the $76 million tax referendum, and they're saying it's for the kids, for the kids. And they had all these parents <laughs> writing editorials to the paper and everything. And what they did, they figured they'd sneak it through on a Saturday. They did a special election, which cost the county $100,000, did a special election on a Saturday, figuring it's not a normal election cycle. It'll be just the referendum. No one's going to pay attention to it. So it'll get passed easily. Guess what? We blew them away. We got out. We tore the referendum apart. And we just spread word on the social networks, we had people emailing, calling each other, Good. just getting the word out. And Good. it was defeated. They don't deserve the money, now, that's the, for sure. No. But the last time they did this, and they said it was a record number of people showing up, which was 10,000. Well, they said, well, they had low turnout on this referendum. No, 14,000 people showed up. Mm-hmm. Out of the 14,000, mm-hmm. 10,000 voted no. Wow. That not wow, that's quite, quite a mandate right there. <laughs> but I think this is going to be a, a bellwether signal for what is going to happen around the rest of the country. Now, you recently uh, participated in this huge walkout um, involving sex education. And this has gotten really crazy, the sex education they have in our school systems today. When you have teaching kindergartens, transgenderism? Oh, yeah. Uh, five-year-olds are being subjected to watching their uh, friends walk in the bathroom as a boy and come out as a girl with a new girl name that you are then um, told by the school that you have to call uh, this child, Um, you know, complete with a transgender celebration. Um, Yesterday morning we woke up to a story out of Virginia uh, where um, girls were being shown in school sex videos about um, masturbation, oral sex, pleasuring their boyfriends, <laughs> and uh, this was not approved for the curriculum, and it was the videos were added at the last minute, um, like the day of uh, that they showed them, and uh, this is just an outrage, outrageous um, attack on parental rights. It is pandering obscenity to minors, and uh, in 40, the problem is in 43 states, there are loopholes that allow for obscenity in schools so that they can teach sex ed. There are literally legal loopholes that allow for obscenity. And so um, Liberty Council and others are going to start working on closing these loopholes in these 43 states so that we can begin to lock these people up in jail. They are criminals. 
They are pandering obscenity to minors. We've got, uh, um, you know, sex columnists and pole dancers and whatnot going into our schools uh, with the school principal's permission uh, because they get funding from, uh, you know, whatever group they're getting the funding from, whether it's Planned Parenthood or Human Rights Campaign. And you've got uh, organizations like the ACLU that are defending this trash taking place in our in our schools, and we're not going to tolerate it anymore. Kids are being taught how to how to sodomize each other during public school hours. They're being taught this at taxpayer expense. If you taught if you if you texted the contents of these curriculums to a child uh, as as an adult, if you texted the contents of this curriculum to a thirteen year old, you get prosecuted. And so, calling yourself a teacher shouldn't make it any less illegal. So that's what Sex Ed Sit Out was about. We were drawing attention to this. We were exposing and getting, you know, concrete evidence of the obscenity in our schools, the LGBT gender-bending propaganda in our schools, and um, really a nation and, and the globe woke up and could, could see for the first time, wow, we really have an epidemic on our hands. And um, we ended up being in four countries yesterday that were sitting out, UK, Canada, Australia, in America, and we had press events uh, around the country uh, exposing this and and getting parents to get engaged. You know, it, it is really great that we can see finally parents getting engaged in what is going on inside the school system. For too long, they have just turned around and handed the kids over to the public system and said, oh, you know, yeah. gives me a few hours. I can go to work. I don't have to worry about it. Babysit the kid, teach him reading, writing, and arithmetic, and then send him home to me. Take him to come home as an innocent child. But that's not <laughs> what yeah. is happening. And that's you've right. got they 10 have kids. The, God these bless educational- you. Thank you. Yeah, these educational bureaucrats have decided that school funding is more important um, than than our children's innocence, and uh, that's where we we definitely draw the line. Um, yes, I homeschool my ten children, um, and you know this was a labor of love for me, not because I needed to protect my own children, but I really my heart was broken for the parents who aren't going to homeschool their children for whatever reason. Um, I believe homeschooling is you know, by far the superior option, and it's the honor and delight of my life to have my children with me and to be educating them myself, and I represent millions of taxpayers who homeschool and who are fed up with our money going to teach kids how to sodomize each other and how to question their gender. However, there were many leaders in this movement that are not homeschoolers. They are the parents of public school students or Christian school students, or they are former educators or present educators themselves. And uh, they had a lot to say about this as well, and um, we were just, it was, a, it was a really neat to be a part of something very grassroots. We had no resources. We're only going to do this in one city uh, because we didn't have any resources, but, um, you know, God just gave the story wings, and uh, we, we are really encouraging people to pull their children out um, if they cannot get satisfactory answers and satisfactory proof that this garbage is not going to be taught in their schools. We are pleading with them, and we will assist them in learning how to remove their children permanently from the school. Well, you know, I was up on your website, and you've got fantastic articles up there. Uh, matter of fact, Thank I you. should put a link up into the chat room, too, so people can check on it out your website, um, activistmommy.com. And uh, 
I was pulling some of the articles out, and then I did a little deeper search across the web because uh, I always, you know, double check whatever I, I'm doing to research. And uh-huh. I was amazed, blown away that the California school district says parents can't opt out, but the teeth and straight can't opt out of curricula on gender identity, expression, right. or sexual orientation. But if you teach, if you're going to teach about STD. D's or HIV or, you know, some disease, they can opt out. But if you teach them about gender identity and all these right. other deviations, you can't opt out. It's, it's all right. comes underneath the California Healthy Youth Act. That's sick. Yeah, in, Cal- in California, um, it is, it, it, it's dangerous for your children to be in public school everywhere. They're not safe, period. Um, we have very alarming stories coming to us from across the globe about uh, situations like West Virginia. A teacher showed the kids 50 shades of gray during class time. 50 shades of gray movie. We're talking bondage corn during class time. Alarming, alarming stories. Parents had no notice of this. This was just something she did as a reward for them. And, um, you know, nothing should be taught in the schools that's not pre-approved. And this is extremely dangerous, what's taking place. But certainly in California, um, it's even more so. Parents in California, you have to get your kids out of the school system. You have to get them to homeschool co-op or Christian school or homeschool them yourself without a co-op, whatever you have to do, you've got to find a way, you've got to make sacrifices because our, your kids' minds are being raped. They're being brainwashed. Um, you know, they, they, the social Marxists want to turn them into little Marxist robots that are going to repeat the talking points, you know, and believe lies. Um, and we don't want that. We want our children to be independent thinkers. Um, we want them to be truly educated, and I don't think any of us believe teaching kids anal and oral sex uh, at, during class is is what an education is all about. No, and if you think it's only California or somewhere like New York, uh, Illinois has a plan to, plan to mandate the LGBTQXYZ LMNOP yep. education yep. to K, K through I cannot talk today. The bill is SB 3249 in the Senate, and the House has uh, their bill 5596. So there are two bills sitting in Illinois that could possibly pass if no one pays attention. There you go. And in Delaware, uh, parents, there is a uh, law um, in the works uh, that I believe has already passed uh, the House in which uh, children are being allowed to change their gender or race. Without the parents knowing, they are allowed to do this during class and basically, you know, uh, basically operate uh, under gender dysphoria and confusion and psychological illness in the schools, and the schools won't tell the parents about it because they're worried that the parents won't support the children um, in their transition. And you're right, it is not just in left-wing states like New York. Um, I can show you workbook pages from Indiana, the conservative state of Indiana, in which, in the name of sex ed, kids are being taught how to get to the local birth control or abortion clinic uh, to use their services via bus route without their parents knowing. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got all the evidence, you know, to prove that this is taking place, even in conservative states, in the conservative state of West Virginia. 
a girl um, uh, reports that, well, a whole classroom reports that the teacher showed them a YouTube video of a song uh, about suicide prevention, and it showed two boys in bed together. And it was all about these gay boys um, and, you know, them being depressed and whatnot and suicide prevention, and these two boys are in bed together. And the teacher told the students not to tell the parents that they that, that she showed it to them. <laughs> if, if that doesn't cause mental illness, I don't know what will. You know, because now you've yeah. got kids, because uh, I know there was one case in, I think it was California, in the L.A. area, where the kids came home crying from in school because yeah. they were told, well, you may not grow up ending up being a boy or a girl. You may be a boy or a girl now, but you may not grow up that way. And the kids were so right. confused. And they went home thinking that they might wake up in the morning, and if she was a girl when she went to bed, she'd be a boy when she woke up. And they were so frightened and so confused. And exactly. That, I would sue if, was illness. If I, yeah, if I were the parents, uh, I would definitely be suing the school for, you know, um, emotional, emotional and psychological trauma that they are causing um, to, to those children. And certainly I would never allow my children to sit under that type of indoctrination. And it's really child abuse, what they're doing to children. Um, they're not allowing children to... They're not letting kids be kids. They're not allowing children um, to have their childhood and to have innocence. Um, and this is this is sick. It's perverted. And parents better pull their kids out in mass. I don't mean just for a day. I mean permanently. Uh, if you have anything like this going on in your school system, your child is the most precious thing you have. It's it's the most valuable thing you have, and you can't get back your child's innocence once it has been lost. So this is of the utmost importance. It reminds me of um, the nanny state, and um, government has a, a way of overstepping its bounds and its power and influence over us, and that's why it's so important for parents to get involved in their local PTO or PTA, as we call it up north. But anyway, as Annie and I were just talking before the show, we have little girls who want to be Cub Scouts now. And we were like, well, don't they have mm-hmm. a Girl Scout? Where, where is all this going, you know? Mm-hmm. Just the sign of the times, I guess. Yeah, lots of gender insanity. Yeah. Very sad. <laughs> it is extremely sad because I remember when they, they said, we're going to do health ed originally. And that's how they put their foot in the door. We're going to do health ed. <laughs> oh yeah, and they you always know, I have remember a nice name with, for it. Yeah, they always have a nice name for it. It's called anti-bullying, or it's called suicide prevention, or it's called family life, and what, or even abstinence education. They're actually lying and calling it abstinence education so that they can get Title Five funding. And uh, because you're only allowed to get Title V funding through absence education. And you know what they call absence education? Teaching kids anal and oral sex. Because it's not oh, the actual geez. traditional act of sex. Who, what parent believes that uh, engaging in anal and oral sex is abstinence? These guys are sickos. And we need to prosecute them uh, for pandering obscenity. It, but there's only one one definition of sex. 
So, you know, yeah. whether or not it's anal or, or, or the right way, um, it's still sex. It is. It is. Yeah. It is very sick. And uh, I, this is going out to my Canadian friend up in the chat room, Kel. Uh, actually, she's got a great show also, uh, Red Fox Radio. So she may even want to have you as a guest on her show because you had this article up there and it concerned Canada and a third grade teacher that had a day of pink celebration. Right. And love is love poster. And this, yeah. this thing was just absolutely, this third grade, this with words saying no race, no religion, no gender, no age, actively promoting uh, homosexuality and pedophilia? Now, how sick I can mean, you be to tell kids it's apparently, okay to have sex with an... Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, what? Uh, either somebody's really stupid to put no age on there or they're really perverted because that is definitely implying pedophilia. There is an age. There is something called a legal age of consent, and uh, children cannot consent according to law. And you uh, have to be between 16 or 18, depending on what state you're living in, to be considered a consenting adult legally. And so um, these uh, these social Marxists are just, you know, after our kids, and it is our job. We stand before God for our stewardship of our children, and it is our job to protect them from these vile people. Uh, these are vile people, and the worst part is that they're in our schools, and they're in control and in charge as guardians of our children. Because that's what they are during those hours that they're in the schools. They are the child's guardian. Yes. That's right, and they're not going oh, safe. That's why we did sex ed you know, Started off in the college level, and then they worked it down to the high school. Now it's gone down all the way down to the kindergarten. Soon it'll be in pre-kindergarten or preschool. So as soon as your little toddler is dropped off in baby daycare, they have control of that child and then can mold that child into whatever they choose to mold that child into. So I think that's maybe why homeschooling and going into these private schools is becoming more and more popular. Charter schools are (laughs) taking off like crazy. Right. Right, that's good news. That needs to happen a lot more than it is. Millions of kids need to be pulled from these schools, and then we need to let those educational bureaucrats feel that heat and uh, figure out what they're going to do now that they don't have enough federal funding to justify enough enough students to justify their you know federal funding and their bloated budget. Well, you know, if people don't have kids, and unfortunately I don't, I have a stepson um, who's an adult with his, with the two children of his own now. Um, but if you you think you shouldn't be angry or upset or think it doesn't matter to you that this is happening to our children, think again because these are your tax dollars being used yes. to promote this this sick society. You know there was you have on your uh, your website activistmommy.com the University of Tennessee to hold an anal sex workshop during sex week. We had something similar like this coming up in uh, South Carolina a couple of years back, Mm -hmm. and I got wind of it, and I contacted through the South Carolina Tea Party Coalition all of the Mm -hmm. Tea Party and conservative groups throughout the state, and we jumped on this like flies on you-know-what. Good, And we got it yanked. What they had was it was how to become a lesbian in three days, and they were going to hold a workshop to teach 
girls, women, our young women that we're sending to college to become <laughs> a vibrant part of our society, how do they become lesbians? You've you got to teach them how to do this. And so, In other words, they're basically telling you this is not in your DNA. This is yeah. not something that occurs naturally. We've got to teach you how to do it. Right. If, if, if you're born that way, then why are they recruiting people into the lifestyle? You shouldn't have to recruit well, if you're born that way, right? <laughs> exactly. But this is this is our tax dollars funding these things. Right. And this is what's happening right. in the University of Tennessee. Um, but I, I notice a lot of this happens uh, in areas, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to get called out by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, but I noticed that when you have a <laughs> That's high, an honor. That's an honor. <laughs> a high influx of liberals and, believe it or not, a large Muslim community. Because if they can corrupt us and make us lose our moral values and our moral center, make us become dish rags to the Democratic Party, then the Muslims can come in and say, oh, well, this is why you need – to become a Muslim so you follow our moral mm-hmm. dictates because our women wear the burqas and they stay at mm-hmm. home and the men take care of them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just mm-hmm. another foot in the door for the, ch- the ultimate change of our society, I think. Am I, am, I, am I way out of line or am I just looking down the right path? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely the cultural Marxists um, operate via chaos and, um, you know, they have lots of George Soros money to uh, to bring that chaos about. And, uh, you know, our voice is powerful, though. We can, through grassroots movements, without, without you know, funding, without billions of dollars, we can push back hard against this. You just need parents that care in their school districts, a few of them binding together and exposing what's taking place. That's really all you need in most of these areas to get this stuff out of these school systems. We've watched it happen. They pushed it out. They pushed a human rights campaign welcoming schools out in Fayetteville, North Carolina, just recently. Um, Just read a story yesterday, Chicago, Illinois. Parents had to get a restraining order against the high school to stop a sex columnist from coming in and teaching about casual sex uh, to their high school students. It can be done. Parents just need to get engaged. Absolutely. And I just noticed that my co-host is telling me you've got to run. I'm sorry we didn't have more time with you, but I welcome you back to the show at another date. And uh, I'll get a hold of uh, AJ or, or whoever's over there. I don't know if it's Sutton who was working with yeah. you and see if we can get you to come back on. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are. Um, we I lived in Ohio and we were traveling to North Carolina for the sex that sit out flagship event. And so today uh, we are traveling back to Ohio. So I'm on the road um, with my children, my husband, you know, back at home at work, and we are we are traveling today. So <laughs> my children are waiting for me. Well, but it was a nice conversation. Oh, God bless you for all the hard work you do. And I'm telling everyone to check out your website and support you, activistmommy.com. And everyone has to become an activist now. Yes, thank you so much. God bless. All right, Elizabeth Johnston, uh, check out her website, Activist Mommy. Uh, man, what a lovely lady, Curtis, and I'm sorry we didn't have more time with her. But, you know, uh, I want to yes. talk about this University of Tennessee, the uh, sex week, and this, this occurred April 6th through 12th. Now, I, I need a – I don't have a magnifying glass. I need a magnifying glass. I was able to read this last night, and 
in this light, I can't. Um, queer history in cinema. That's how it opened, the first opening. Queer cinema. Queer. I cannot talk today. Oh, maybe I, I haven't had enough scotch. <laughs> no, I'm drinking water, honestly. That, maybe that's the problem. I'm drinking water. Uh, queer history in cinema. Uh, gender smackdown. Queer theory 101. Wow. Um, trans convo starter pack. Oh, gee, this is a, how you can start to become a transgender. Uh, trans sex positivity. Um, sex exploration, destination France. Uh, history of erotic art. Uh, like a virgin, abstinence and virginity. So this is what she must have been talking about, talking about um, anal and oral sex. Um Reproductive Justice 101. Oh, geez. Here's the feminazis again, pushing pro-choice instead of pro-life. Uh, here we go. Masturbation Nation. Uh, Tinder and Tea. I have no idea what that is, and I don't think I want to know. This is uh, at the college And, level. of course, oh, geez. it's got Toys Are Sex. This is all the University of Tennessee. Um, reproductive injustice again, uh, a smackdown of pro-life. Uh, science of abortion. So they're they're overt about it in that one. Uh, some of these I don't even want to say. But you know what the finale is? Was a drag show. They closed off Thursday yeah. evening with a drag show. So uh, this is your tax dollars at work because it's not just the tax dollars of the citizens of Tennessee. Federal tax dollars go into this also. So it's your money. It's my money that's going into a lot of these things. And it's, and it's got to stop. You know, you send these kids to college, it's your hard-earned money. And if they don't have the funds, then they go for grants or loans, which end up being your tax dollar anyway. So you're paying these kids to take these courses. I thought, you know, teaching basket weaving 101 was bad. But this is so far worse. And this is what we're, we're, we're sending our kids to college from for. And you wonder why they come out like snowflakes, why they need these safe zones, and why they have to have these these uh, racially and sexually divided uh, areas. I'm sorry, no whites allowed over here. Or if you're a conservative, you can only speak in this locked-in area. Or if you go to address, you've been invited to address them like UC Berkeley, and you chase out Laura Ingram, and you chase out... Uh, Oh, God. Brain farts going on here today. Not only can I not speak today, I can't even think. Uh, Robert Spencer, you have conservatives that want to go out there and spread the message, and conservatives that are students at the campus are being smacked down. They're being sit down, shut up, you got it wrong, you're not allowed to speak, and yet they demand their free speech. It is so so backwards. This is why we have to reclaim the education system here in the United States, starting at uh, the preschool level, if you want to ask me. Um, as far as these courses, I believe they're meant to be a distraction to keep these kids focused on everything but the real issues. And, and when they do that, they can pass all kinds of laws and policies and regulations, and these kids have no clue what's going on around because they're chase, chasing after these, like I said, superfluous um, Issues that have no real meaning. I say well, we reclaim the system. 
and reprogram these kids. <laughs> well, you know, if if we as a nation lose our moral value, our moral core, our moral center, if we lose that, we are done as a nation. Well, that's true. We we become no better than a third world country, because once we do that. Ooh, what do you what do you strive for? You have the cheerleader in the NFL team. I forget which NFL team. Someone will probably post it in the chat room. Um, that publicly made a statement on something. Well, I don't know if it was a Facebook post or whatever. Uh, that she was saving herself for the man she marries. That she was still a virgin, and she got pulled into the team office and reprimanded, and told she was being told basically you've got to lose your virginity. So you know they went after her First Amendment right of freedom of religion. They went after her and basically said, you know, you've got to behave like a slut. And you can't tell anyone the fact that you are a virgin, that you're saving yourself. You can't tell anyone about your faith. That's why you're doing it. This is an NFL cheerleader, a pro-team cheerleader, and being told that, hey, you're a good girl, and that's not good for us. And that's it. I have to apologize. I got a bit of itchy nose here. <laughs> it kind of, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of that movie Serpico. You know, um, bad cops do not feel comfortable around the good cops. They never did. Uh, uh, don't 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 so, get me started on Serpico because Serpico was a dirty <laughs> cop. Serpico himself yeah. was a dirty cop. IAB turned him. And used him to get the other cops that were in, that were in that drug ring. I'm sorry. I know this personally because I worked in that precinct, the 9-0 precinct. I worked with men that had known him when he was there. Know the backstory of everything, and every last one of them said he was as dirty as the rest of them. Just IAB got to him first and turned him. No, no. But Serpico. There are uh, good cops. There are good cops who yes. are uncorruptible, and Bad cops do not feel comfortable in their company. Well, Serpico was right. a bad movie. He was an example because the and I still have my memo book. So if anyone wants me to prove it, my first foot post straight out of the police academy was in front of the building. He was shot at on Driggs Avenue. So you tell me how we going to get it right? How are we going to get what? So you're telling me Hollywood didn't get it right? They embellished again. <laughs> Hollywood had to make a good guy. <laughs> no, no. Matter of fact, uh, he's tried to run for mayor of a town in upstate New York. And um, what happened was uh, the, the men that worked with him, that knew him as a cop, uh, turned around and let the word go out. And then later on, he married someone and moved to France or something like that. I have no idea what he's doing now, but uh, he was not able to get elected because there were honest cops out there that said, hey, listen, you're not, uh, you don't know the true story about this man. He actually tried to go and sell a book at one point about his story, and that flopped because the word got out is that the book was mostly fiction. He went and wrote it from his alleged perspective all these years later. So that that's that's my <laughs> rant for today. Well, speaking of law enforcement, you know we just had two police officers that were murdered down here in uh, Gilchrist County, Florida. They were 
eating at a Chinese restaurant, and some nut walked in there and just shot him point blank. And then he shot himself, I believe. It seems like the war on law enforcement still continues to this day, and I can't help but believe that it all got started in the last administration. What are your thoughts on that? No, no, no. There has been a war on cops for a long, long time. It's just that now it's being, um, because of the social networks and because of the instant news media, we're learning about it. Um, you got to go back to the days of uh, bootlegging, the war on cops. Um, you can go back to the Wild West. There were always war on cops. It just it goes through phases. There's a time it starts to calm down, and then a time it starts to ramp up. Uh, when I became... It was heavy in the late 60s, early 70s, and it started to calm down. And then when Stephen McDonald was uh, shot, that was, uh, that was 86. I was in the police academy at the time, so it was 86. Uh, it started to ramp up again. And I lost several friends, several good friends, one of them being Eddie Burns that was assassinated on the orders of a jailed drug kingpin. And this is a kid that I went to the police academy with and sat and ate lunch with and studied with. Knew his family, so there has been a war on cop. It's just at times it's more prevalent than in the past. And these last, I would say, last five years has been a heavy, heavy toll on law enforcement. And unless we, the public, start to get behind the law enforcement and support them and show the massive support, and not only that, when you get a hold of someone that shot a cop, charge them to the nth of the law. Go after them. Don't don't slap their hand and just give them five or ten years. Show that there has to be a true penalty for it. You know, and I think that's the problem. You have people that, that, that feel that. What's that? Is that not a capital offense yet? Not in all states. Not in all states. Um, it shouldn't be a life sentence at, at, at the least. It really should be a life sentence. You know, the killing of an unborn child and the killing of a law enforcement or a first responder should be any first responder because they're there to help you, to keep you, the public, safe. So I would, to me, if you if you kill a firefighter in the line of duty or if you kill an uh, EMS guy racing to help someone having a heart attack, I think it's the same, should be the same penalty. I don't think it should be more strong for just law enforcement. I think any first responder that is killed in the line of duty, that should be the same penalty. Because, you know, that fireman could be backing up a police officer. That EMS guy could be backing up a police officer. And if you're in a life and death situation, you're trapped in a burning building and someone kills a firefighter on the way to rescue you. I, I think that should be treated the same way as a law enforcement officer. That's my personal opinion. But I do have a problem with capital uh, punishment only as a Christian because I think only God should say whether or not someone should live or die. And yet even to be true, you know, Christ basically said, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar. Basically he was saying, let government do what government does. So if government decides that this is a capital offense, then so be it. But if I were to go on to a jury and I would have to stand there and I had to make that decision, I would – Say no, honestly. If I don't believe in abortion, why would I believe in capital punishment? So if government says that is the law, then that is the law. 
And if someone can sit on that panel and vote and say yes, fine. But if I were to be interviewed for jury duty, I have to be honest and say, no, I cannot vote for capital punishment because I don't believe in abortion, so I don't believe in capital punishment. I don't think it's my job to take another life unless it's in the defense of another person or to protect my life. Now, the reason the reason why I said the last eight years about this assault on the police and law enforcement is because we, we had a president who wasn't really supportive um, of law enforcement when he had opportunities to be he was on the side of the thugs. And this is the same guy who said, when they bring a knife, we bring a gun. So I really don't think that was helpful at all. No, no it wasn't at all. And uh, quite honestly, um, it wasn't just Obama. It was the whole progressive movement that gave rise to Obama, that gave rise to Blue Lives Matter, that gave rise to the Antifa. It is the George Soroses out there. Uh, it, it is the progressive left. The Bernie Sanders that allowed them, uh, or Ferguson that allowed the rioting to go on the street, or Baltimore that, you know, punished cops for doing their job. It is the rise of progressivism that gave us Obama that brought yeah. us around. And, and unless and we rhetoric. fight back, exactly, you know, just Obama is a symptom of what the problem is. Well, their rhetoric, like, the, what do we want? They're cops. He was silent. He never said anything, you know, like, you know, we're, well, we're not a country that, um, you know, attack our, you know, law enforcement like that, you know. He was silent when they said stuff like that, you know. Yeah, that is also very, very unfortunate. So we need leaders out there that are willing to speak out and say, no, it's not right. If you say black lives matter, then why don't all lives matter? And if, if you say Black Lives Matter, then why are you supporting Planned Parenthood and abortion? Because the vast majority of children that are aborted are black. And this is a frightening statistic. Do you know how many babies are murdered, are aborted every single day? In a 10-minute period, 17 babies will be aborted. By the end of this day, 1,700 babies will be aborted. Now, if this were to happen, say, for an AIDS epidemic or any sort of a flu epidemic or something like that, you would have a huge, huge public outcry that you've got 1,700 people dying in America from, from one cause, be it cancer, be it AIDS, uh, be it toe fungus. If, if you had that many people dying from a single cause, there would be a huge, huge public outcry. But who is crying out? For 1,700 innocent lives being lost through abortion. Not very many people. But we're going to have to call our guest in in a split second. I just want to mention one of the reasons why I brought that up is that a pro-life student walkout uh, occurred, um, and no one talked about it. School kids, uh, they had the, the walkout for the gun violence walkout, so this one kid in Rockland, California, um, took on a dare. His teacher, Julianne Benzel, dared her students uh, that if they backed the anti-gun demonstration, then why aren't they backing a pro-life demonstration? So this one kid took her up on the dare, Brandon Gillespie. And he, he put together a, a, a 
a rally. You know, say, hey, kids, let's walk out and do a protest the same way they did it for the anti-gun rally. You know, so he had rallied all these kids together to step out of the classroom and be silent for 10 minutes to honor the 17 babies that were just murdered. And you know what? The school would not give him any uh, platform at all to do this at. They didn't give him any uh, audio equipment. They didn't give him any sort of an arena. They didn't allow him to do the speeches like they had at the gun rallies. So he proved, he showed how much of a hypocrite that the school was. And good for this kid, Brendan Gillespie. This kid's going to go far. So uh, let me call out. Unfortunately, we've got to call out live to them because uh, they cannot call into the show so I am going to dial out to them right now and see if we can get them on the phone. And we're dialing. And we're dialing. And we're dialing. One ringing ding. Two ringing ding. Three ringing ding. Four ringing ding. Good afternoon, JP. Hello. How are you today? Hi, JP. Hi, who's this? JP. Uh, is this who's Anne? calling you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? That is. That <laughs> is. How are you and Lainey today? Well, we're tolerable. I've been watching you on the uh, on the tube. That's why I was wondering who was calling me, because is that delayed uh, broadcast? Yeah, it is delayed. So if you're up on Facebook oh. or YouTube, there is a little bit of a delay between what's there and what you see on air. Oh, that's cool. That's really nice. They've really improved this. Well, well not I am ready. Not enough to keep me from screwing up. <laughs> not enough <laughs> to keep me from screwing up, that's for sure. <laughs> that's showbiz. Uh, yeah, and you know it pretty well. You do. <laughs> and, I do. you know, i got to say something. I, I actually scrubbed the Internet last night looking for any music from your group back then, uh, the Brothers Grimm. And the only thing oh. I found was on that website, that video uh, that someone had put together with the Beatles coming to America with your song in the background. Yeah. And I, yeah. I wasn't able to download it because I wanted to play it. But that was the only song I could find from your group. i got to get one that of your albums it. if you've got one still. <laughs> no, actually, I have an album. It's being uh, offered for sale for $150 on eBay. <laughs> but that uh, uh, I don't I really haven't posted any music from, although Shannon's got it on her her uh, iPhone I don't know where she got it from the internet's incredible stuff that pops up on it is just just amazing uh, one of the songs <laughs> is After the Lovin' and uh, Southern Nights My Way some of those songs from it's called Solid Gold, but that was recorded back in the seventies. Oh. I've wow. been out of that field wow. for a long time. <laughs> oh, Children of the Street—that's <laughs> a video uh, on IMDb, Internet Movie Database dot com. They have a Children of the Street, which uh, huh? is really a song. I recorded that at um, in Nashville. Uh, I think not the Gaithers. I can't remember, but but uh, anyway, we uh, we recorded it. There's kind of sad. It's about children who run away from home, and it's <laughs> it's a tearjerker. 
<laughs> well, since uh, I'm on, on IMB Pro, I'm going to have to take a look at that. Uh, we've got Dr. J.P. Sloan and his lovely wife, Lainey Sloan, with us. Um, you know J.P. by the books he's written. Uh, he's got the... Uh, <laughs> Here we go. The Evil History of Replacement Theology, and he's also doing a three-part series on Islam Exposed, and you've got volume one and two out, and you expect volume three to be out shortly. Um, there is a lot to talk about that's going on, and have you been following anything that's been going on in Toronto yesterday, that tragedy up there? Yeah, I saw that with the van. Yeah. That a, yeah. Or was that in this country? I, I everything just kind of No, that was up in So it was up in Toronto. Up in Toronto. Yeah. Hmm. And our we need to outlaw vans people up there. We 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 vans illegal. They they should be. And and cars too and trucks and knives. And bicycles. People get killed by bicycles. You know, um Did you know that? Stones, too. Bricks thrown from the tops of buildings. I think that if what we really need to uh, outlaw is the evil in men's hearts. And by the way, when I say men, I'm referring to the species, not the gender. We have genders anymore? <laughs> Lainey's saying, do we have genders anymore? We have dozens of them. It's a potpourri what? selection. Uh, was, uh, well, I think it was up to 65. Oh, I, I know. Pick it's, any, pick hey, Curtis. Right. <laughs> How you doing, Curtis? I'm hanging in there. Hey, well, that's all we can ask you to do, brother. But, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting world we live in because now you can be anything you want to be. Like you were saying, um, I could be Negro, Curtis could be Eskimo, and you could be Pinto. What am I? So, and my wife just said, what am I? You're a sweet wife. But that's a bad word, too, today, I guess, so I don't know. But, you know, the, I think I'll declare myself king of America, and we'll just get rid of democracy, and everybody can bow down in front of me. I mean, you know. That was Obama. <laughs> I hope you didn't hear that. My goodness. King of so I don't want to... named Hillary. <laughs> the hill, you say. Oh, my. By the way, I want to uh, do a shout-out, if I may, real quick. To a friend of mine who's a uh, political commentator and film producer in London, England, who's listening to the show right now, Mark Sutherland. He uh, also uh, did a sign-on on your uh, on your site there, and he's he's on he's traveling with a uh, cell phone, so it's shows dropping in and out. And I said it's probably the cell towers are having trouble holding it. But uh, anyway, Mark, glad you're listening to the show today. Well. Say hi to Mark. Hi, Mark. Oh, man. We never know where we end up. We yeah. never know where we end up. You're across the, the pond. Part about <laughs> oh, man. I've actually found that people have been listening in places as far as China, too. So, like I said, I never know uh, where the heck we're going to find ourselves. You know, um, there's so much to talk to you about. And uh, we had a pleasant conversation last night, and I didn't want to take all the good material on the phone call. <laughs> oh, man, I don't even know where to start. Holy cow. Because we were talking about the moral decay, because we had on him with us just prior. Um, 
Elizabeth Johnston, uh, who was participating in that sex ed walkout, and we were talking about that last night on the phone. Mm-hmm. That uh, it actually was a great success yesterday, but you didn't see it anywhere in the news. You know, you oh, saw you it won't. about the anti-gun rallies, and they're still mm-hmm. talking about the anti-gun rallies today. It was front page news in my local rag about some woman still holding a protest on, out there. You know, really? Well, it, it's, it's the it's the um, Communist press, I, you know, that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but uh, I, I go back to the time of McCarthy, Joseph McCarthy. Now, I was a young boy at the time in the 50s when he was going, but I watched it on television. And a lot of people didn't have TV sets back in the, in the early 50s, but because my dad was in television and radio, we had sets in the house. And the communists are the ones that coined the term McCarthyism. And so even our president and... Um, Tucker Carlson say, well, we don't want McCarthyism. But, you know, after the um, – everybody that he called up in the Un-American Activities uh, thing of the, of the Congress and Senate, after the Russia fell and the KGB records became available to everyone, it turned out everyone that he suspected of being a communist was. So he was right, but they had yeah. to marginalize him. They did the same with J. Edgar Hoover, saying he was a cross-dresser and, and a homosexual. Of course, now that would be a plus, you would think, the way our society is going. <laughs> and um, the stuff that you are talking about earlier in the schools, where they have the um, kids with the lesbians, trying to encourage them to be lesbians. Two things on that, if I may. A lot of times, they, uh, since it's not natural, you have to grow your own, and this is a way to start developing a new crop of homosexuals uh, for society. Now, let me let me state first of all, I'm I have a lot of friends and and cousins that are homosexual, and I wouldn't want to see them beaten up or shot or strung up by the neck. I love them. I care about them. This is something that has become in our society, though, glorified. Just like if, if a guy's a womanizer, this in God's sight, it's the same thing. So here's the good old boy sitting on the bar stool Friday night. He's got a wife and six kids at home, and he's pinching the cute little tushy of the waitress. This is, this is just as bad in God's eyes as, as, as any sexual sin. But taking sec, uh, sin out of it and religion out of it, the, the problem is you have people who are confused about what they are. Now, If you're a man and you have a surgery and you become a woman, your DNA will still be XY chromosomes. And that means you're a man no matter what you do and vice versa. You know, a woman would have double X chromosomes. So you can't really change it. So they say, well, I'm a man uh, in my body, but I'm really a woman trapped in this body. Well, how would that happen? The only way you could say that you are a woman trapped in a man's body is if you're bringing a spirit, a female spirit, into your body. When you were born, the wrong spirit got in your body. Now we're talking about religion. Of course, they don't want to talk about religion because religions generally don't approve of that lifestyle. But yet they're saying that this is what God did to me. Now, sometimes... They'll say, well, it's, um, I couldn't help it, it's genetic. Consider this, if it's genetic. If it's genetic, you couldn't go past the third generation. 
of human beings before homosexuality be completely wiped out. Now, why is that? Because if you have a homosexual gene that's predisposed not to replicate itself and follows its primary uh, function, which is not to replicate itself, it dies out with you. Now, by force of will, you might, because of social pressures, marry a man if you're a woman or marry a woman if you're a man. Uh, so the appearance is there. But by the third generation, the chances of that happening just are, are nil. So it cannot be something that's passed on genetically because if the gene follows its prime directive, it'll be wiped out by the third generation. Well, that is an excellent, uh, excellent, excellent argument for it. And I've actually never heard of anyone use that type of an argument. Thank you. Just You're welcome. <laughs> something I didn't know. <laughs> oh, I, 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 come, I was born in Hollywood. And, and I've, I've been raised around a lot of people who are homosexual. And I, you know, what they do in their bedroom and what I do in my bedroom, that's their business and what I do is my business. And as long as we keep it that way, I don't have a problem with you. As long as you can do the job and you're very talented, there's been some wonderful people, uh, entertainers that, that were uh, homosexual that I think were, even today, I, I miss them. Some of them are dead and, and just terrific talents, but they didn't play up that part of their life. They played up their talent as a comedian or, you know, the, as an actor or actress. But today we're in a different situation of promoting it. And whenever, uh, this is part of the communist and when you get back to the early foundations of communism, one of the things they want to do is tear down the moral structure, tear down the belief in God, and of course you do this through the schools because that's, that's, you take the minds and you mold them. Now we were talking, or you were talking uh, about in the 50s with the, um, that's when they started teaching sex education in school. I remember very well when they were discussing it. What happened was, Parents get a little embarrassed. Now, I know I'm a, I'm a dad. It, it, it can be a little embarrassing to explain the facts of life. Now, of course, if you're raised on a farm, it becomes a little bit more obvious to everybody. But when you live in the city, it's not quite that obvious. So, no more horsing around. We'll get to the point. Um, what happens is we thought, well, you know, the coach to a kid is like a second dad or to a girl like a second mm -hmm. mom. And the coaches, I, I remember the coach calling uh, uh, all of us boys together and sitting us down and just clinically speaking, nothing stimulating or anything about it, just matter-of-fact conversation and explained what it was and saying, now, you know, you want to not play around with this because you can get a girl pregnant and that's not great. You should really wait till you're married. Of course, he would be drummed out of the school, maybe even strung up for saying something like that today because they promote sex. And what happened was the the uh, Planned Parenthood got involved. And Curtis probably knows this, that one of the things that Margaret Sanger had in mind when she first started it was to go into the black communities and get the girls starting to have lots of sex and aborting the, the children, hoping that that might wipe out the black race. And she just was a horrible woman. She said uh, to her niece that, uh, you know, she likes to have sex two or three times a day, preferably with a different man. So here we've got the Planned Parenthood now coming in with their philosophy into our public schools and basically teaching that. So it's, it's um, I think we need to get back to, to um, our parents having control of us, not the schools, 
But if you've noticed, insanity seems to be reigning in our country and, and even in the world. When we see what's happening on the news, we say, where did that come from? How could that be? And a lot of people have been duped because they've been programmed through education process to the, with, uh, well, what we called it when I was in school in the 50s, it was called outcome-based education. So it goes back that far. When I was in the fifth grade, I had a fifth grade reader said, and we were, you know, we, we didn't like communist Russia. This is back at the time of McCarthy. And, and um, what, what this book said in my public school was that the children loved to ride on the little Stalinsky railway and the red hordes of Russia will rise and rule the world. Why would you teach a kid in Sherman Oaks, California, the sleepy little community outside of L.A., that type of a thing in fifth grade? But that's what was taught. I remembered it. So L.A. does a lot of interesting things. A lot of interesting things. Amazing. Because I remember when we did the sex edge, it was called health education. And they used it under the guise of health education. And, you know, they, they kind of glossed over different sexual perversions like necrophilia and things like that. And they explained basically what it was. That was really something you really didn't need to know, honestly. You know, you really didn't. If this was health education, then teach us how to our hygiene, teach us about various diseases and how to avoid them. You know, that you would expect. But they threw in the sex into it. And that's where they got the foot in the door. And now it's to the point where they're teaching kids in kindergarten about transgenderism and scaring mm-hmm. the ever-loving out of these kids by telling them, oh, you, you can change your sex. You know, it's, it's very possible that a little while from now you're no longer going to be a girl, you're going to be a boy. And these kids went home absolutely frightened, frightened that if they went to bed as a girl, they'll wake up as a boy. This is, this is not good for their mental health. This is absolute child abuse. But if they're doing this to kindergarten, my question was, well, how long before they go into pre-kindergarten or into baby daycare? So that the moment you drop your toddler off, your toddler may be only three months old, they now have control of your toddler and can mold that child any way they choose. Because you're gone for eight hours while you're, or ten hours it is when you're working. The time you drop the kid off, get off of work, come pick up the kid, take the kid home. That's every waking moment. By the time you get home, you make dinner, you put the baby to bed, and you go to bed. You have very little interaction with your children in today's world anymore. Being a woman is not an easy thing. It never has been, but especially in today's society, because uh, it used to be that a woman would would be at home, but didn't mean that she was twiddling her thumbs watching soap operas all day, because before TV, a woman ran the house. She might have... uh, Maybe a servant or two, maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, uh, but she was in charge of the bills and the, the buying and the cooking and making sure everything was right and writing the checks, raising the kids, making sure they were, you know, straight and narrow, getting husband dressed for church on Sunday to get the whole family to church on Sunday, or, you know, if it was a Sabbath Saturday for, the, for our Jewish uh, friends. But religion played a very key part. Like the talkful said about America, it's good because America's good. We have a church on every corner. It's not that way anymore. And so the woman did all of that, and now she's working, which, which is fine. But, you know, I, I remembered something I was um, noticing um, back, I think it was in the 60s. I was in a guitar store, and I heard a couple talking, and, and they were 
they found out that the price of the guitar was kind of high. They wanted to buy their kid. And the wife said, oh, that's okay. We can afford it. I'm working now. And I thought, hmm, now we're going to become dependent on two salaries. And, and before too long, it has become that. Now the wife has to work. It's not a choice anymore. And uh, some some women would like to stay home w- with their children because they want to make sure that they're not getting... Well, you know, when your mom's at home during the day, you don't play footsies with the girl next door in the living room. Mom's around, and her mom <laughs> is too. And, you know, you kind of keep the straight and narrow. But today we have, because they made divorce so easy and everything, it's supposed to free women. It freed men, but it didn't free women because now the single mom... Uh, is is trying to be a mom. She's trying to be a father. She's trying to be a, a bread provider. She's trying to give moral instruction to the kids. And of course, when Johnson was in power, they actually paid the girls if they had uh, how many kids they had. You'd be paid money for it. So naturally, it behooved them. And they had to be single mothers, so it was better not to have uh, a husband, but have babies. And it it, it really affected the uh, the black community at first. But it actually poured over into the uh, what we call the white community. I really hate those terms, white and black, because most of my black friends, if we turn our palms up or when we shake hands, it's the same color skin touching the same color skin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I could go on that all forever. You know? color blood. Yeah, yeah we're same human beings. My best friend, and, and he became a pastor, and we were at his church. He passed away a few years ago. He died the same day my dad died, 10 years apart but he he was african-american he was he was uh he started out with motown he he started motown west coast he wrote um, um love child by diana ross and you made me so very happy uh just he and Smokey and all these people he led a lot of them to christ uh marilyn McCoo and billy davis jr uh when he he and his wife uh, never really had a marriage so they they did perform a marriage to recommit themselves, and we were in it as uh, uh, groom and, and bridesmaid, and Billy and Marilyn were groom and bridesmaid, and it was just, you know, the most incredible thing. I could go down with some more names, but that would be name-dropping, and, and uh, we don't need that. But to say it to suffice, well, it was really something special. But he loved God so much that he gave up being the number one producer in America, according to Billboard, in one year number one in Europe by Billboard. Billboard is an industry magazine that that everybody in the recording industry checks out. It's kind of like their Bible. So uh, when I lost him, I lost more than just a friend. I, he was a mentor. He was, uh, well, we were just so close, our families. Uh, my daughter, <laughs> she was somewhere, and uh, Frank was there, and he was talking to some, some other black friends, and Shannon walked up and said, Uncle Frank, and the his friend looked and looked at her. You know, Shannon's very pale. I mean, she is really pale. And the guy said, what did she just call you? Did she call you uncle? He said, that's right. That's my niece. Well, you know, you, you are so right, Lance. We are still feeling, especially in the black community, the um, impact of um, policies from the left, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Johnson's Great Society has been very detrimental to the black community. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we we have some blacks that are starting to wake up now, people like Candace Owens and Kanye West and a few yes. others, you know. So there's hope. 
I believe, you know, and we've got people like myself and quite a few others out there trying to trying to um, wake up, you know, blacks from um, from that um, brainwashing that they, they've been going through most of their lives, you know. And let them well, know the you know, um, I'm trying to think of his name, the uh, Nation of Islam, Farrakhan. Farrakhan. Calypso Louie. It should be Calypso Louie when he's trying to yeah, but uh, Louis Farrakhan, um, he, um, oh, let's see, where was I going with this? Oh, he, he, his followers all say, well, I don't want the white man's religion. You know, the white man put us in slavery. But it was really black African Muslims that did it. But let's, let's, let's go to the founding fathers of, of Islam and the founding father of Christianity. Of course, Christianity solidly built on the, the Jewish faith, where... Islam is a loosely uh, counterfeit, really. But when you look at Jesus, how many slaves did he own? He didn't own any. But Muhammad had lots of slaves. And he, he wasn't prejudiced, though. He had Arabs, Negroes, and, you know, anything that he could lay his hands on, he would make a slave. And he had a lot of sex slaves, too. Jesus never did that. So when somebody says, I don't want the white man's religion... I, I think, what is a white man's religion? First of all, uh, Mediterranean, you're kind of more bronze than you are white, like, like Norwegians. But they always look for excuses to, uh, to bomb it. Hold on just a second. Did, did you want to... <laughs> we are rattling. Lainey's here. Uh, did, you, did you have a question for her by any chance? Well, actually, I, I was waiting for Lainey to speak up because she's got a marvelous, marvelous book that helps a lot of kids in this very, very issue that we're talking about, Manners and Etiquettes for a Heart of Virtue. Hi, Lainey. I thought he had Hi, Anne. You know what? You're, wel- speak. You're welcome to come to our house and Lainey speak up. I, I barely get a chance around here to speak up. Yeah, I'm always good for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you don't want my mom in on the conversation because I sit there for about 45 minutes and just nodding my head. My husband's looking at me going, you're talking to mom? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we do have a book that we're really excited about. My daughter and I wrote it, and it's called Manners and Etiquette uh, for a Heart of Virtue, and it's scripturally based. So we go through and we talk about, uh, JP, could you get me a book out of the out of the closet there. We talk about, well, you know, everywhere you look today in America, people don't even look like the same people I knew back in the 60s. They dress differently. They're sloppy. Their pants are hanging down to their knees with sewn-on underwear. I guess that's what that is. Um, and the young kids are swearing. Um, and I guess JP's having trouble finding my book. Big times. Hold on, JP. Well, I actually, in the video that's playing on YouTube and Facebook, a copy of the book goes through, and there's a link on the show page people can click on and go to directly to where your book is being sold and check it out there. So I'm yeah, so happy actually, to promote yeah. you and JP. <laughs> It's just a good, it's a good practical book for for young ladies who are often left in our culture, as one of my uh, endorsers said. 
left in the culture without guidelines for establishing good habits of self-care. But it's not just that. It talks about behavior. We talk about how God wants uh, young women to behave and what he expects of us as Christians. It's funny, the reviews we're getting, you know, teenagers, you never know how a teenager's going to react. One girl looked at it and she said, oh, it's okay. (laughs) I said, well, that sounds like a 13-year-old, doesn't it? But I think a lot of the more mature Christian girls and this just isn't for elementary through teenage. I, I like to see women in their 20s and 30s read it, too. Talk about oh, hygiene. And, talk about hygiene and well, grooming you know, and hair. Talk well, about it should also, uh, a, a parent should read it, too, to show them what they should be teaching their children. It shouldn't be just for young girls. Even the parents should be reading it and get this out into the school system so that, you know, teachers can turn around to kids and say, hey, listen, this is the proper way in which to behave. But, oh, wait a minute, public school system, the progressives are not going to be too happy with your book. They just may end up banning it from the library. That's the way they think. I'm sorry. You know, honestly, um, you were taught this way. I was taught this way. All the young women of America were taught this way. But they're not taught that way anymore. It's just gone from our society. And so our goal for writing this book was to hopefully bring bring it back, hopefully reach some parents or parents who want to see it back and are willing to work with their children in the, the, the book. We've actually received word that there's some churches that want to use it in small groups as, as a study for the teenagers. Yeah, there's the, your book, and there's also Scott Paley has a book out called Get It Together. He's, his is more of a uh, practical approach to um, what tools, when you go out and buy your car, uh, how to take out car loans, how to apply uh, to college, and things like that, uh, financial responsibility. But he also ties it in with moral responsibility. He does things also where in his uh, where he teaches them the founding documents. What are the founding principles? So you tie your book in with his. That would be one heck of a course. I love his. T- I love that title. Because you, you feel like that sometimes, yeah. right? When you when when you see what you see in society, you just go get it together, will you? <laughs> Yeah, you because know, uh, uh, we're all of a generation. I'm slightly younger, thankfully. <laughs> anyway, um, but we're of a generation that when you went for a job interview, you were dressed to the nines. You were in good, clean business attire, and you presented yourself in such a manner that the person wanted to hire you. But you see these kids today coming in in shorts and flip-flops and their hair uncombed, and the person that's filling out the job sleep. application is mommy or daddy. Yeah. Mommy or daddy are the ones filling out the job application. You know, uh, someone was complaining the other day that she, her son was a hard worker, really good kid, and she she was calling around looking for a job for him. Uh, wait a minute. If he's such a hard worker, why isn't he the one looking for the job? Why are you looking for him? That's not someone I'd want to hire. But the, the today's kids, this is their attitude, and it's an unfortunate attitude. Yeah, it's a you owe me attitude. You know, I've got a slightly older brother, and he—I have a slightly older brother, and he pulled it on my parents one day, and I just turned around and I looked at my mom and said, "Oh, wait a minute, you owe him." I don't recall 
uh, you know, I just, I said, I don't recall you saying that I want to become pregnant, you know, with the, I it just, it just, it struck me. It just struck me that, you know, every single person in the world has not asked to be born. You know, it's just something that God has chosen to do. So now God placed you here. Now make the best of it. You know, I don't owe you simply because you exist. I owe you because of my Christian faith, but I, I didn't ask to be born, so I don't ask anyone to give me simply because I exist. But that's the attitude we got. And in, you it, know, one it, of the changes that I noticed. Victimization ad- I'm sorry? Yeah, right. Everybody's a victim. One of the changes I noticed came after the show Big Brother. Um, and with all due respect to our president, Donald Trump, the show You're Fired, the way that they cut each other behind their backs, the way they just were so competitive, but they didn't do it in a healthy way. It was done in in a very... Dog-eat-dog way. Yeah, dog-eat-dog way. So, you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of respect for our fellow human beings. And we do talk about that, too. And gossiping, you know, girls have a tendency to gossip. Well, I thought it was just girls who had a tendency to gossip. Now I'm hearing more and more (laughs) men gossip. But we want to be equal. Oh, boy. <laughs> Trust me, men do know how to gossip. It's just that, you know, it's, it's like a bunch of guys hanging around and swapping stories. But when you stop and really listen to the stories, those guys are gossiping. <laughs> Trust me, they gossip. And make uh, up a lot of to... The fish stories. Oh, yeah. The bigger, the better. <laughs> That's human nature. Oh, man, we have so much... It is. It is human nature. We have so much to talk about. And I, I had all these notes here to start talking to you about. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was the attack on faith and the rise of anti-Semitism we have. And it, it's funny. Angela Merkel, uh, the, the chancellor of Germany, welcomed all these Muslim immigrants. And now she's upset because there's a rise of anti-Semitism and attacks on German kids in school. They're saying that even the schools are no longer safe. They have to post security because if a kid comes to school with a ham or a pork sandwich, they get beaten up by the the immigrant population. But, gee, she's the one that welcomed it. Now she's upset when she sees it happening. We have this all over. We're even seeing it here in the United States. You know, we have a real problem in America. As you know, There's JP has a statistic, but there's a lot of mosques being built, and a lot of them are taking over churches because it makes them feel superior to take over a church. And it's a very frightening thing that our city councils have to meet in the middle of the night to okay the building of a mosque, and they are building at such a rapid, disturbing rate all over the world. Well, before 9-11, I think there was about 1,000 mosques throughout the country. And within 10 years, it almost tripled. And one of the things... Go ahead, Ann. No, I was going to say, what is really unusual is that the first mosque, uh, I looked this up, that was ever built, was out in Wisconsin. They took it into an area that there was no one out there. They built the mosque, and then in the 1950s, just grew from there. You have mega mosques in Nashville, Tennessee. In in the town I grew up in, there's a mega mosque, mosque in Westbury on Long Island, New York. Uh, Florida is the fastest growing with mosques being built. And you're right. 
these are springing well, here's up a, like weeds. The uh, a lot of the Protestant churches they have what we call storefront churches. They get a family usually mm-hmm. they they uh, meet in a home and they get enough people together and so they go and rent a little storefront somewhere so they can move out of the house in the neighborhood and, and get where there's a parking lot and so storefronts work really good because they do have parking lots. Sunday's not very busy and they can expand and expand. Now you're talking about the the Nashville Mosque. It's actually in Murfreesboro. That is huge. And I think there's only 300 families, but this thing could seat at least a thousand. Where do they get the money? I know, as, as a Protestant, and have been in several uh, church growth uh, projects where they try to raise money to build a building. It really is expensive, and you you've got to have a lot of people. And nothing as big or fancy as the mosque in Murfreesboro. Um, so how can they do? As a matter of fact, I think it's almost the size of Saint. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, not as tall, but, you know, covering the area of ground for 300 families. And so you wonder, what is this? Well, Saudi Arabia sends a lot of money. They also train the uh, imams who are going to be the spiritual leaders, and one of the major uh, denominations, we'll call it, of Islam in Saudi Arabia is the Wahhabs, the Wahhabis. And uh, that's what uh, Osama bin Laden was, a Wahhabi. They hate uh, anyone who is not a, a Muslim. And, of course, you have your inner fighting uh, with Muslims, too. But here's the problem with Islam and, and against Jews. We're talking about anti-Semitism. Now, there's two, two holy books, the Quran and, and the Hadith. The Hadith is more like the encyclopedia. There's many, many volumes. But there's, there are collections, of, supposedly, of what Muhammad said and they wrote it down. Muhammad actually uh, didn't want this to be done. He was against the Hadith, but then he gave in it toward the end, and so they were allowed to do it. Because he said, you've got the Quran. Why do you need things secondhand from me? But anyway, one of the, um, one of the, the Hadiths, in it's um, Shahi Muslim, book 41, verse 6985. And I give you this, because that's the address, so anybody listening says that's not true, there's the address. And it says, basically, I'm going to paraphrase it, that the last hour would not come unless the Muslims will fight against the Jews. A tree and a stone will say, oh, Muslim, come, there's a Jew behind me, kill him. And so what this is saying is that the end times, when when their Messiah, the Mahdi, can't come back and the end of the age can't happen until there's a complete all and all out-and-out war with the Jews and you kill the Jews. Now, how can the so-called Palestinians make peace with the Jews in Jerusalem and Israel if they're supposed to kill them all before there can be peace? It also says in the Quran, make no friends of Christians and Jews. I mean, that's just, that's just right there. Now, we'll, we'll hear some, sometimes we hear very nice things saying, oh, well, you know, the, the Quran says that uh, you can't force religion. And that's true, and that was a Meccan verse when, when Muhammad was very weak, didn't have a lot of followers, and he finally had to escape to Medina, which is Yitrab originally. He renamed it Medina, which means city of the prophet. And he um, all of a sudden then became, as he got stronger, more militant. Now, in Islam, it's not like our Bible. Our God never changes. He's the same today as he was yesterday or tomorrow. But in Islam, Allah can change um, what he said for something better. 
in other words, he can promise you one thing and, and renege on it and, and go back on it. And so how do you know what it is? Well, you have to look at the order it's given. So the, the last thing Allah says is what you go by. If he says, love the Christians, and say uh, it was one of the first ones, and then toward the end of the Quran he says, kill the Christians, you go by the last thing that he said, which is kill the Christians. So it erases all the good things. Now, we have uh, in our book on the Quran, that 500-page book on the Quran, it's not all the, not all the surahs or chapters, but we didn't want to make it 2,000 pages. That could be very expensive. I wanted people to be able to, to um, read it and understand it. It's kind of like a parallel Bible. Not everybody knows what a parallel Bible is, but that would be like saying you have a Bible and you open it up, and here's the King James Version, and next to it's the NIV Version, or the, the Living Bible Version, or, you know, just so you can compare them side by side. The Quran isn't laid out quite that way, but what we did is we took um, different verses. Actually, the, the verses is in order. We do commentaries on it based on Scripture or history, and then, where appropriate, we will actually put the scripture if they're trying to refer to a scripture. We'll put what the Quran says, and then underneath it we'll have uh, a little icon that'll have a Bible on a Torah scroll, and that will be the Bible verse that references it. So that people don't have to be confused or think, well, this is the, the author's opinion. They can say, well, here's the Bible, here's the Quran, I'll compare them. Then you decide for yourself what you want to believe. But it's, uh, it's, it's interesting how... Uh, it, it, the Quran is really not in a specific order. It, it would be like roughly starting our Bible with Revelation and ending with Exodus. It's kind of weird the way they do it. Actually, they try to go from the, the longest ones to the shortest ones, and the shortest ones was when he was just starting to, to receive, Muhammad was just starting to receive information from uh, Gabriel. Now, it's interesting that nowhere in the, in the Quran does Gabriel identify himself as the one giving uh, Muhammad the scriptures? There are three verses in the Quran where it does refer to Gabriel, but it doesn't say that he's the one giving the verses. Allah never claims that he does it either, so it's kind of weird. In the Bible, we hear the, the prophets will say, Thus saith the Lord, and so we know where it's coming from. But that's just some of the inconsistencies between the Quran and the Bible. Did you want to say something, huh? I did. I wanted to... One of the things that, that bothers me uh, is the fact that we, we we have to allow mosques to be built. JP, would you talk about that? Well, it's our first uh, it's our first uh, amendment, and in one of one of the books that we've written, I uh, and, and actually I think I've posted it maybe uh, in Politichicks or Barbed Wire, where I wrote some articles that the. Islam may not be protected under the First Amendment because it's, in actuality, it's a socio-economic, militaristic, political entity. Oh, and religious entity. Exactly. So exactly. it's more than just. And and um, some, it, it, now you cannot, you cannot. Um, well, all right. Let's. We we had a man swear in on the Quran that belonged to Thomas Jefferson. Keith Ellison. Keith Ellison. Right. Yeah. And of course, why did why did Thomas Jefferson have the Quran? Was he becoming a Muslim? No, he actually had two Qurans. We were being attacked um, in, in Tripoli by the pirates, and he wanted to know 
how these people think, what makes them tick. And of course, if you look at the heart of anybody's faith, Buddhist, Muslim, Catholic, uh, if you want to go through the different Protestants, you will understand kind of what makes them work and how they think and why they think or do what they do. So that's why he got those, know thy enemy. And, but he, he swore in on it. Now, if somebody puts their hand, who's a Muslim, on the Quran and says, I swear to faithfully observe all the laws and support the Constitution of the United States, they don't really have to, because in Islam, that's a man-made document, and the Quran itself is strictly from Allah. This is how they view it. Allah also allows for lying. There's two, two versions of that, taqiyah or kitan. And what these do, it allows you to use, a kitman would be using some truth to make it sound real, but leaving some things out so you can not be cornered and lead people astray by using a little truth to do it. Um, in Takiya, you can just out and out lie, basically. If it furthers Islam, that's, that's, the, that's, exactly. the, the, that's the point. It has to further Islam in your country. So if you say, yeah, I love the Constitution, I love what's going on, um, and, and you swear on a Quran, you'll do it. You're not really held by their God, who's the ultimate authority, because the Quran is above the Constitution. Now, to be fair, um, we have read into our Constitution life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is in the preamble, but basically now we say life or abortion, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've, we've inserted something that's not there. And we've also, with homosexual marriage, goes completely against the teachings of every major religion for thousands of years. Of course, I could be thrown in jail in Canada for saying that. The point, though, is that we, we have to be attentive to what's going down when somebody says that they, they swear in on a Quran. They believe that is the final authority. That it's okay to build a Quran here because... Because it's it's part of the jihad. Now let's talk about let's talk about no go sites. What happens like in London? First, what they do is they come in, and they always play the underdog. And so they come into the country, and they they build the mosque. Now slowly, as as they build uh, believers in that area, they start renting hotels or not hotels but uh, apartments or buying homes or renting homes, circling that mosque. Now, recently, I forgot which one. Sadly, there's been so many of them now, it's hard to keep track. But there was uh, somebody had committed an act of terror, and you could see the mosque from his apartment. I wish I could remember his name. It was within the last year. But be that as it may, it shows how they're, they're starting to build around. Now, once they get around, you can't... Um, you can you can walk through their their uh, town. They're, they're part of the community, but if you're a woman, you'd better be pretty covered up because they can rape you, and that's okay because you're an infidel, and that's all as revenge on the girl being using the Muslim man to punish the girl by raping. Now, um, in in Iraq, when when uh, they, they would get women that were virgins. You see in the Quran, you cannot kill a virgin, but you can rape them, then they're not a virgin, and then kill them. This is how perverted some of these people are. Now, a person who is a Muslim may not feel that way. I, as a Christian, don't particularly uh, 
want a theocracy, a Christian theocracy. But if all of a sudden the country was overthrown by the Baptist church, and Baptists were solely in charge, and nobody else could live, and everybody else would become second-class citizens, I might not really agree with it, but because, well, I'm a Christian, and I could easily say I'm a Baptist, hmm, well, (laughs) at least I know I'm safe. And so I'm not going to yell too much about protecting... Well, that's what happened in Nazi Germany. Not Nobody yelled too much about protecting the Jews because, well, they were Jews, and, and I'm a Christian, so it's okay. And this is the mentality. So if, if Islam takes over, well, I don't really like it, but, hey, I'm a Muslim, and, and we've got a caliphate going, and that's Allah's will, so who am I to argue with Allah? And I just won't have friends of Christians anymore, or Jews. Does that make sense? Well, no, it it makes perfect sense because this is what's happened in Germany. And hey, you wanted open borders, you welcomed these people in, and now you have to deal with the consequences. And this is what the consequence is: it's no longer just the Jews; it's now the average German citizen. It's their children too. The children going to school. But we are seeing because we've got that mega mosque in Tennessee that uh, students in Tennessee and across the country are being targeted by proselytizers of Islam, claiming to address mis conceptions and they're going mm-hmm. into the schools with these PowerPoint presentations and it's called Dewa in public schools and this is what they say reaching the youth has not always been an area explored by those in the Dewa field. Our representatives visit public schools sharing the knowledge of Islam as an attempt to correct the misrepresentations often found in secular reading materials and they give an 800 number called it's 877-Y-ISLAM can provide PowerPoint presentations for school children. So it, it, they're spreading, they're proselytizing, but heaven forbid a Christian goes into a Muslim neighborhood or a Muslim country and proselytizes. We see time and time again pastors and innocent people being jailed and executed for living their faith and preaching their faith. And, yet they come and if the Muslim people. converts, they are to be killed by any Muslim that comes across them because they've become apostate. And then they have the kids in the school reciting the Shahada. And we're seeing this all over the place. And Tennessee seems to be like the heart of it because it's got the mega mosque. And our friend Kel up in Canada, because you know Kel, uh, said they're building a large mega mosque up there, larger than one in Tennessee. They're here to take over the Western world. Well, once you, once you recite, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, that is how you become a Muslim. So even though you don't know it, you've to any Muslim listening, like in a wedding ceremony or something, you have identified yourself as a Muslim. And if you go back to church, you can be killed because you're an apostate. And you, you, it's, uh, it's insidious. Now, a lot of people will argue that. That's why when I do these books, I put the scriptures from the Bible, and I put the, and we'll call them scripture because it means writings, from the Quran and Hadiths. I, you know, this is what I base my, my thoughts on, but here's, here's why, and here are the actual uh, quotes. So your argument isn't with me, it's, it's, it's uh, either with God of the Bible or uh, of Islam. But you have to be, yeah, I try to be respectful and careful because understanding that people are kind of, program like our kids are being programmed by the NEA and their schools, which of course we, uh, we are guilty of because we allow it. We don't take our kids out um, because our school is good. It's the other ones that are bad. 
And so this is what happened. But here's something to consider now. In many schools, well, let me just, let me go, since you're, you know New York, in some of the New York schools, they're setting it and Eid is, is holidays, the two holidays in Islam, which is the beginning and end of Ramadan. They're setting that up as holy days to be taken off like Christmas and Easter. Of course, we can't say Christmas, we can't say Easter, but we can say Eid. Now, in a lot of schools in California and throughout the country, they actually, because the, the kids will be praying in the afternoon, they're set a room aside for them to pray in. And, you know, at first you think, well, that's considerate, that's nice. But what do we call a room where a particular religion goes to worship? Last time I heard it, it was referred to as a chapel. Now, can a Christian or a Jewish student have a chapel? How about uh, a Buddhist kid from, uh, you know, Japan or China or something? Can, can they go in and worship, you know, uh, the way they want to? No. Well, they say that's because you don't have to at a certain hour, but these kids have to. That's kind of a cop-out. And um, it, it just snowballs. That's what happens is, is it snowballs. It always starts out with, with, with good intention. It's like words being redefined. Uh, I posted today, I said, you think you're not being indoctrinated? How many of you used to refer to somebody who was using a gun as a gunman, and now you call them a shooter? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at the clock. I extended the show a few minutes because I just realized that the show is going so, so fast. But it's ironic uh, that if there was someone that brought in something of Christianity or church into a public school or a public building, uh, people will scream separation of church and state. It's in the Constitution. No, it's not to begin with. Uh, it's freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. And you cannot prevent me from practicing my religion. That's in the Constitution. So if a child goes in and says a prayer over her meal and she gets reprimanded by the cafeteria monitor or someone comes in wearing a crucifix into a classroom, the teacher will take them out. Or heaven forbid, a student wears the American flag. Uh, they mm-hmm. are then told to turn the shirt inside out. You know, but Mexican flag's okay. There are the communists is okay. Yeah. Right. But if you set a classroom aside for Islam, that is okay for them to pray. But if you have a child say, hey, listen, I want to take a moment to say a prayer over my meal or a moment of silence before we start the school day to pray for, you know, I don't know, our military fighting the war in terror, that's not okay. No. So it, it, it's a hypocritical thing. And heaven forbid you call someone a hypocrite, uh, like someone did. I called someone a hypocrite because they were <laughs> riding both sides of the fence, and I, I was told I cursed them out. So if you try to criticize them, you're smacked down. And the louder they criticize you, most people will cow down and say, all right, fine, I don't want to start a fight. I'm going to walk away. But I think it's time that we start fighting back and stand up and say, no, this is my faith. This is what I believe. This is the, what America was founded on, and I'm going to stand up for it. You don't have to be vicious or violent, but we have to turn around, draw that line in the sand, and stand. And we have to emulate what Christ did. Three times they asked God to take the cup away from him before he was crucified. But he, he actually said, nope, this is what you want. This is what we're going to do, and we're going to finish this to the end. And we have to do that. We have to follow his example, love thy neighbor as thyself, but don't. Don't let them take away our faith, and don't let them destroy everything that we've built. That's my preach for today. 
Well, it's a good speech, and basically that comes out of Marxism, is what's happening, not, not what you said, but the Marxists in our schools, because okay. in order for communism to flourish, we have to get rid of God. Why? Because we don't want people thinking they can turn to God for help. We want them to believe that they have to turn to the state for help. It's the state who takes care of them, and if you step out of line with the state, you're in big trouble, and you won't get help. So we've got to line up and have one-party system, which the Democrats would love it to be the, the, the Socialist Party, Democrat Socialists. Actually, the, the Communist Party USA said that um, they supported the Democrat platform because it pretty much aligned itself with uh, everything on the, that the communists believe in, including they took God out of the uh, platform. They did put it back because they were forced to, and, and I know I'm telling, telling you things that you know, but our listening audience probably may not be aware of some of this. But it's not opinions. Everything that we've talked about today and the guests before, you can do searches on the Internet and at the library, and you can find that it is indeed factual, and that's what's happening. Yeah, it is It is a shame. But, uh, J.P. and Laney, I'm sorry we didn't hear more from you, but uh, I'm telling everyone that they've got to read your book, and I do intend to bring it over to my pastor along with Scott uh, Paley's book and see if we can put together a program. And I think uh, if we do that, not just inside our church, but op- open it up to the community. So if there are parents out there that feel that their child or even the parent may want to come uh, and see how to get their life together and what – real manners and etiquette look like. I think it's something that we should start pushing across the nation. So I'm going to start in my church, in my community, and I'm telling everyone else out there, pick up these books, do your research, and find ways in which to spread this message. Well, we thank you for that plug. Uh, It's important. If you base your thing on something moral, we're told there's no absolutes, but I'm here to say there are absolutes. And believe me, if the other side gains power, you'll see that they will rule absolutely. Oh, it is. We've got so many things to still talk about. But, JP, uh, I want to thank you. Uh, there's a link to your website, which is your name, jpsloan.com, on the show page. And, Lainey, there's a link to your book on there. And tell Shannon I said hi. Uh, wish she, she could have joined us today, but maybe another time. Uh, it's a great book, and JP, your books are excellent. It tells the truth about Islam and uh, revisionist uh, theology. Uh, excellent books. Looking forward to the third one coming out, uh, which you said will be soon, correct? In a matter of months, hopefully, yes. Absolutely. And, and everything that we do, we try to be respectful. Even though we may be critiquing it, we try to be respectful in doing so. Well, God bless both of you for the hard work you do. You, you are Thank a blessing. You so much. Well, you're a blessing as well. Thank All you right. so much. And have a wonderful day. And Annie, you too. Take care. Thank you so very much. Take care. All right. Check out jpsloan.com and also Lanny's book. The link is on the show page, Manners and Etiquette for a Heart of Virtue. And that is all we got. We went a few minutes over, but that's okay. I want to thank everyone that participated in the chat room over here, up as well as Face and YouTube. If you see me looking, if you're watching it, the video, you see me turn the head. I'm between two different computers, and I've got about six screens going and about several different chats. So I may not get to answer everyone that's posting. I apologize for that. But we do the best we can. Uh, we're going to be back here, Curtis. We've got a triple header on Friday. Uh, Bruce Hartman has a great book out. It's called Jesus and Company, and he looks at 
the business marketplace and the teachings of Christ. And he puts the two of them together to show you that you can enter the, the business world and still be a moral and virtuous person. Uh, you don't have to be a cutthroat. You don't have to be a backstabber. So Bruce Hartman has uh, Jesus and Company, his book. Uh, we've got Nelson Farber, who's running for Secretary of State here in South Carolina. And then Jim Horn has three new books out on Islam. So I'm going to have to do a crash reading course on Jim Horn's books. I'm almost done with Bruce Hartman's. And we will have a great show uh, on Friday. Oh, Friday. So we'll be back then. Yeah, we'll be, we have a great show lined up. And then we're into May. Oh, my goodness. This year has, has passed <laughs> so fast. Unbelievable. I can't believe that it, it yes, has passed so fast. Oh, unbelievable. I just I just can't believe how fast it's all passed. But uh, we will be back here on Friday. So until then, I say good night and God bless. And I leave you with the song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. And here we go.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.